Francis, appreciate you making time for this conversation. You've written some words on paper that came to my attention and stopped me in my tracks of like, who's writing this? What, do, what is going on here? And uh, yeah, a friend was posting it, sharing in the group, like, hey, I am reading this book. He's like, this is this philosophy, like this is what we're all about here. My group is like around training and life success and that kind of stuff. And just sharing these things, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I had to look it up on Instagram. And then I uh, reached out and here we are. So thanks so much for making time for a conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm super, you know, I'm excited to be able to chat it up with you and go down some rabbit holes and all that good stuff for sure. So you're in the mountains of Colorado. Is that, uh, has that been home for a long time? Um, yeah, let's see. So I've been in Colorado, you know, in total, maybe 20 years or so. So a good long time. I, you know, I was born back East Coast, what we call the Beast Coast um, of America. Um, yeah, then went out here for college, you know, to go rock climbing. And basically, I've been out here with the exception of just like a stint um, to study philosophy back East. Um, but I pretty much came back here as soon as I could, you know, the mountains were mountains were calling and uh, had to get back here. Yeah. Very cool. So the philosophy and climbing are your two things and that's what you you get to do yeah man that's that's the stuff for me so i mean i i guess i should probably give a little background you know like i've been climbing since i was around you know 12 or 13 just you know full on since then you know love at first sight and um you know whether that's just like trad climbing you know ice climbing boulder you know whatever i've just kind of really enjoyed all the disciplines and you know just taking it really serious my whole life and uh but, you know, so, you know, I've been doing that. And then, you know, I, I wrote a lot for climbing pubs and, you know, but, you know, I kind of started to like really feel the, the philosophy bug getting me. So I um, went to like grad school and studied, studied philosophy, man, and just dove, dove, you know, head in and, and um, spent a lot of good years, you know, just reading books and climbing and teaching all that stuff. But, and I'll, I'll bring it back to, you know, the climbing books, but you know, I realized that like there was no really good books out there that started to think deeply about like athletes, especially like mountain athletes from like the perspective of a mountain athlete. You know what I'm saying? From someone who's like in the game, who's doing it, who like loves it and who sees all these connections between like very like, you know, weird stuff like architecture and climbing or or dance, you know, and, and parkour, gymnastics, surfing, all that stuff. And so I was like, man, I need to write that book. And it just ended up being you know, like the first thing I ever, you know, the first kind of like longer thing I ever wrote and man, um, kind of haven't looked back since I've just found it really fun to like bring together, you know, thinking and, um, and just training and the body, right. And sports and excellence. And, um, it's been just like really, it's been a journey. I'm still writing about it today, you know? <clears throat> so is it because you're into philosophy, the idea of writing a book was kind of present because you're reading so many books and lit thinking thinking about the great thinkers of all time and what they put on paper did that plant the seed or what like planted the seed of writing actually getting your your thoughts down in and publishing as a book rather than just papers i guess for uh, college yeah yeah right on man um so so i mean like the the deep origin story i guess is i had this one professor this guy named ed mooney and he kept asking me he was writing this book on sensibility and touch and, and sensation he'd ask because he knew i was like a a climber. And he's like, so like when you're climbing, like, how do you, 
how do you think about your senses? And I'm like, well, you can't climb without all your senses. I mean, period, your fingertips, like the sensitivity of your fingers, you know, what you're feeling, your, your, your balance, even your sense of smell. And he's like, all right, well, how does smell come into it? I was like, well, if you're on a big wall and it smells like shit, I mean, actual shit, that means you're on route, you know, because it means people have been going before you and they've been taking shits on the route. Right. You know? So it's like, that's actually a good sign. And and there's other ways like ice climbing, you know, that like your, your sense of sound has to come into play when you're sinking your tools and all. He's, he was just amazed by it. And I'm like, this is not amazing. This is just what climbers do. And he's, he's like, you need to write a book about this. I was like, whatever, you know. Um, so he kind of planted the seed. And, um, you know, for a long time, I was, I just read everything I could, right? Like what, what is out there on athletics in the body? And I just realized it was so unsatisfying because either it was like, academics, no offense to academics, academics, like writing about the sociology of sport, which, you know, talked about money and like, you know, fame, just like kind of bullcrap stuff. Um, or it was like people who studied the body, but they weren't athletes. They didn't really spend their lives in their bodies. Right. You know, like thinking, trying to craft, you know, certain, certain things. And um, so I realized like, Hey, I can at least, I can do both of this. I, I know, I know the theory, I know the philosophy, but I'm also in the game. And so I was like, yeah, let me like, let me figure this out. Um, and it was just like, yeah, it was a journey of writing. And, and um, the last thing I'll say about it is I, I, uh, you know, got, got some early, um, some help from uh, John Gill, who's like, you know, one of the founders of, of uh, modern bouldering brought chalk to the sport. And I sent him like an early draft and it was like a pile of crap. I was like, you know, John, what do you think of this? And he's like, oh man, this is, you know, it's great. It's really cool. You know, he's like, I'll write you an intro. And I was like, all right. Like that's all now I'm off to the races, you know? So that's kind of the, that's, yeah, that's the story. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's cool how someone recognizing, Hey, that's really interesting. You should share it. Like, yeah, that can be such a turning point in people's lives when, when someone is like, that's really cool. And often we don't see the brilliance in our own past, our own experiences. Like Mm. everyone should be on a journey like that. I believe, you know, like there's something, cool that everyone's done yours is definitely exceptional with like the dramatic nature of uh, the rock climbing world and bouldering it is like life and death right like that that is clear and present that it can go pretty gnarly is that dark side like uh, is, is that a big part of the sort of your experience of climbing as well like the the fact that it's <laughs> it can be the end yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for sure. I wouldn't say so much in um, like bouldering, you know, or sport climbing, but when you start to get into like, you know, big, big wall, like trad climbing um, and some like dangerous routes, you know, and especially ice climbing, like ice climbing is just like always dangerous every time I feel like, um, and you're constantly like looking down like, okay, if like, you know, if I fall, I die. Like that's just like 75% of the time I feel like, um, but, you know, the public really latched on to, you know, the dark side of climbing. You know, I feel like through Honnold's Free Solo and, and you know, later the alpinist Marc-Andre Leclerc, who I've worked with these guys, and, you know, you know, like, yeah, they're, the dark side of climbing really forces the conversation pretty quickly, you know. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that's like a romantic thing, right? You know, it's not, it's not like we're out there thinking about death. I mean, what, what that question does is it it just throws you to the present in like a very concrete way. And it says, okay, like if you make one bad swing with your next ice tool, like you are going to, you know, widow your family. Right. And so what it does, it forces you 
to really heighten um, what your body's doing. And it, it's kind of the feedback loops that you're constantly having to make decisions based on like, you know, the terrain and the environment and the sounds and what you're feeling. And so I think cumulatively over time, yeah, it does. Um, it can dull you, you know, like a lot of times to, to death and like make you a little reckless because you just don't realize the situations you're putting yourself in. Um, I feel like The Alpinist, that film with uh, Marc-Andre Leclerc, I think, you know, like we worked with him, we knew him. And that was a good example. I feel like he just kind of rolled the dice so much and he kept getting heads and he just thought he was going to keep, keep getting heads for a long time. And Climbing does that to you. It kind of pulls the wool over your eyes a lot um, if you're not careful. And um, I'm not saying he wasn't careful. He was, I think he knew what he was doing, but I also do think that he, he probably just didn't have the healthiest um, sense of his, um, of like just really how dangerous, you know, like what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, this, and then, then just coming back, uh, you know, bit high level, you know, philosophy, you know, talks about death a lot, right? And, and mortality and, and all this stuff. And so, yeah, climbing is a sport, man, maybe like big wave surfing or certain types of seriously gnarly kayaking that really, it just pushes you in that decision where it's just a constant conversation. Um, you know, we lose friends all the time. It's something we talk about every, like, you know, there's not any of my friends that are kind of grieving in some way, in some capacity. And um, yeah, you just got, it takes a lot to get ready for some, some, some types of climbing. So you got to dig deep, you know? <clears throat> yeah, that idea of getting ready is I've prepared my, my background's preparing athletes for rugby and things like that. But if you're preparing for something that has higher consequences, then it potentially adds more to the preparation or it's, it's at least a, a different um, thought pattern underpinning of like, I really need to be uh, healthy and, and able to perform the task. It's not just losing, but it's like even bouldering, like you don't want to be falling. You don't want to be falling from, you know, three, four, five meters. Um, you don't oh, want to fall yeah, badly. Right. Like it's, even if it's not death, it's still, it's still like high consequence uh, falling awkwardly. So the preparation side of things, like, are you really into your like strength and conditioning kind of uh, like the, the science of the training? Is, is that a passion of yours as well? Absolutely, man. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I think, I think, you know, prepping for those situations is, is there's, it's kind of multifaceted, right? So you got to do as an athlete, you got to get, you got to make sure like, you know, it's feasible, like what you're going to do is feasible. It's like in your realm of possibility. I think that's like your base level. Like, are you reaching too high? You know, and if you are just back off, wait, train harder, you know, wait a couple months or whatever, like don't do it. Right. So, I mean, I think if you can pass that first gate, like, okay, this, this is possible. Then it's like, okay, you know, where am I exposed? Like, what are, you know, when you really break it down, when you start doing like a boulder prom, for instance, that's maybe 10, 20 feet off the ground, which is like a sure backbreaker or a leg breaker, you got to be like, all right, you know, usually there's a couple moves that'll stand out. Okay. So, and you really focus in on that move. And then you say, okay, like, what's the, what's the percentage that I'm going to pitch off of this, you know, these moves and what's the percentage of me really getting hurt on each of those. So you kind of like, you know, you really analyze it really carefully. Um, and there's certain type of tricks you do. So I would say that's like the second gate. And then, then you start to role play a little bit, you know, you start to be like, okay, like, let me try to visualize myself in this situation. Let me see like kind of what panic happens in my body, right? Like, it, you know, if I get to the base and I'm like convincing myself, like, this is the go, I'm going to try to visualize, I'm doing a mock run. 
you know, am I getting anxiety? Am I getting like, what's happening inside of me? Because, you know, climbing is the type of sport where you can go from like happy, go lucky, fun in the sun to just like palm sweating anxiety in like three seconds, you know, super quick. And if you can't handle that shift, um, like with absolute precision, you are going to break your back. You are going to fall a lot and you're just, you're going to get hurt. And so that's the tricky one to work on, you know, because, you know, panic, I think climbers in general, you know, deal with panic and nerves more than anything. And I don't mean like panic as in like the, the bigger sense of like, you know, breaking down, but just the, the micro panics that your body undergoes that cause you to fall like shaking legs or sweaty fingertips or increased heart rate. All of those things are kind of manifestations of panic and fear. And if you don't have those in check, then you just, you know, you just don't kind of belong on those things that are high consequence. And I think that's the hardest stuff to work on, you know, like that's really because you got to know how you react. You really got to dig deep and fear like what's, what's popping up right now and why is it popping up, you know? And if you can't manage that, then it's going to pop up and bite you back threefold when it, when it's game time, you know? It's like a rock, rock therapy. You expose to yourself. Yeah, I think so. I, I I think it can be that. I think, you know, one thing I'm trying to work on in the sport is like, hey, you know, like we can we can use this in like a positive way. You know, a lot of climbers just you go out there and you just, you know, you rip around, you do some stuff and it's pretty unreflective. And, uh, you know, you get some ego boost out of it. And that's cool. Like, whatever. Like, you know, go send some shit and have have some fun and drink some beer and hang out. You know, that's that's awesome. I'm guilty, too, all the time. Um, but like, why not use like the gifts of climbing for something a little bit more sophisticated, you know, and, and why not also, you know, get to get to be a place where you can climb your best. Cause I don't think you can really climb your best if you're not doing that kind of work. Um, the top climbers are all doing that work. You know, they're controlled, you know, they, you know, they don't panic. They have all their shit together and that's not, that's not a coincidence, right? Um, it comes easily uh, more easily for, um, for some than others for sure. But um, they're all doing that kind of work, you know. It is the work getting to those situations or situations close to your limits? Like, is it that desensitization or is it stuff that they're doing? Like, is it meditation or off the wall? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about there in terms of doing the work? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, in a lot of ways, it's like a it's kind of a resensitization, you know, so you don't want to like desensitize yourself because then you can't really be aware of the things that um, are really going to come and get you. And um, for instance, like, you know, Adam Andra, um, you know, who's like, you know, the top kind of climber in the world, you know, and, you know, Alex Honnold and you, you hear these guys like talk, right. And this, I guess I can talk a little about, about like flow theory and, and flow practice. Cause I think it's a little relevant. Um, you kind of hear in that literature, right, that, you know, climbers, you know, the best thing to do is get into the flow and, you know, shut your mind off and, you know, just kind of let your body take over and so on and so on. And it's just kind of like romantic, transcendental, you know, experiential thing that, you know, a lot of athletes talk about. Um, but I think it's kind of bullshit. You know, I think that they're right in, in describing the state, um, but they're wrong in in describing like how to get there. So for instance, like you can't just, you know, go up to a cliff and be like, all right, I'm just going to turn my mind off and like try to get the zone state and, and climb like the hardest thing in my life. Like it just never, 
ever works like that. You know, what they're doing is they're getting their, their base awareness and all their decision-making. They're kind of bringing that down low to where it's kind of like automated, right? To where it's super optimized and efficient. And they're not having to like use up their precious bandwidth to think about shit. Like I got to bring my left foot up because if I do that, you know, the underclinks here. And if I, if, if, you know, if I had the underclink there, then I can do like, they're not thinking about all that stuff. They're allowing their body to make that, to make those decisions. And their, their mind is kind of like, um, on a deeper, on a lower level where it's just kind of idling there, right? So their bodies are kind of doing what they need to do, right? It, it's kind of well-trained. They're just, they're not getting in the way of athletic performance, which, which the body does, the mind doesn't really do. And so I feel like the best climbers are able to manage that kind of awareness um, intensity, kind of like spectrometer, right? Like I need to bring awareness here, bring awareness there. I need to really cue in here and now I can drop off. And I feel like you know, almost all sports are like that, whether you're a basketball player or a rugby player, you got to have those moments when you're just running and just pure kind of animal, but then you got to be able to back off and, and really quick and say, okay, let me read the field. What's my positioning, you know, where, where are the, where are the other guys and uh, climbing's like that, you know? And I think the work that they're doing is um, what you could call it like toggling, right? They're toggling between different types of awareness or mentalities really quickly, efficiently. And, um, you know, with intelligence. And so that's the kind of the work that they're doing, whether they know it or not. Um, you know, some climbers talk about it that way, but you, you see it in action. And I think I'm just trying to like put some words around it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The art of putting words to something that's very physical is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a huge challenge in any realm, but the, the sport writing, as you say, like most of it's like, it just doesn't, it's difficult to capture in, in strength training as well, like people ask, like, what are the best books? It's like, well, you know, there's a few decent writers, and, and but like, yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it's easy to capture because it is such a visceral experience. Like, what is it that makes it successful on the page? Mm-hmm. How do you get that? Yeah, yeah. How you get that across? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. You know, I think this is where philosophy comes in, right? And, you know, philosophy is the art of like, you know, for me, chipping away, you know, like you, you chip away at assumption. Um, So you're not like really adding to like, you know, knowledge, you're realizing what you need to take away from your climbing, you know? And I think that's like the key thing, you know, I think good philosophy should kind of call you out. It should call out like your, your complexes and your, the weirdness that you bring to stuff and the distortions that you bring to stuff. And I think once you do that, you kind of like let people realize all the junk they're bringing to their sport or their training or their mentalities. Um, a good, for instance, is be like, okay, you know, you go, you go climbing, you go to the crag, then you see a lot of people and they're getting super pissed off, right? They're just getting aggro and they're yelling at themselves and they're kicking their chalk bags or whatever. <clears throat> and it's like, you know, you want to tell them like, bro, you're never going to climb hard in that state of mind right now. Like, so like, you're just not, you're just like, no one really climbs hard with, with anger. Right. So why are you angry? You know? And it's like, oh, well, you know, I have like so much, you know, personal investment or I have so much, you know, feelings of success and failure, um, you know, leveraged on this climb that if I just don't do it, I'm going to go home and feel like shit for a week and, you know, try to come back next weekend or whatever. So it's like, all right, we just remove that, you know, take, figure out how to take your sense of self-worth out of this equation 
and that, that will get rid of the anger a little bit. And then you actually be able to be calm and, and rock climb, you know, and actually do the thing you need to. So you kind of like learning the art of stripping away, I think is really key because one of the worst things you can do is um, climb from a state of confidence, overconfidence, or, or underconfidence, right? You need to be like right in the middle. If you're overconfident, you're going to botch it. You're, you're just like, same with, you know, rugby, you're, you're going to make just like bad decisions. You're going to overcalculate, overestimate, or underestimate your opponent. And uh, that's never good. And so, um, you know, figuring out what you're bringing to each like, you know, athletic goal you're trying to do, I think is really hard because that takes, that takes work. But I think, again, I think a lot of the top athletes, um, actually, I know a lot of top athletes do that. I mean, they are very aware that like, you know, they're, you know, what to bring to a climb or what to bring to like an athletic achievement is really kind of central to the equation, you know, whether you're talking to like Serena Williams or, Michael Phelps, they'll always say that, you know, like you just need to focus on the performance. Like you need to just focus. It's not about winning. It's not about like getting the gold medal. It's not even about beating that opponent per se. It's just about, I need to be able to do my best job. And what does it take to do my best job? I got to quit loading up all this stuff onto the table, you know? Um, so my body basically can, can do its thing, you know, cause the body knows, you know, hundred percent. What influences the outside of rock climbing? You sort of touched on uh, surfing and uh, other disciplines. Like, have you uh, are you into other stuff? Do they influence your your own practice? Um, yeah, man. So I um, I was a like competitive gymnast when I was young. I did a lot of gymnastics. Um, that definitely, you know, taught me a lot about um, like the core mastery component of climbing. Like, you know, you have to really dig deep and, and kind of work through repetition a lot in, in terms of like going at it with a fresh mind all the time, because some, some climbing projects can take years, you know, and you're just like banging your head against the wall. You got to not give up hope. You got to find kind of that micro, what we call what climbers would call like micro beta, right? The littlest things like a thumb here, a little shift of a finger there will make the difference. And if you can't notice that and you're not open to like changing up, then, uh, you know, it's not going to go well. Um, but, you know, I think another sport that I did a lot that, you know, I really liked, so, you know, I, I grew up like skateboarding, right. And, and um, skateboarding is super interesting because it's actually a lot like climbing. Um, it's a lot more like climbing than people think, you know, like what you're doing, you're skateboarding, you're really kind of reacting to an environment, you know, like when you're skating, you're, you're always skating in a different sense of like a different area, different concrete. There's, there's just different, like, things you're reacting to and you're using the landscape as kind of like your prop, right? You're like, you're just kind of like, you're trying to figure out new things to do in the built environment. And climbing is actually a lot like that. Cause I feel like you have to be supremely creative and, um, and just like adaptive to each like new place you go. And, um, you know, I, I just got that a lot from skateboarding. I think, you know, just in terms of like, okay, you know, like, what can I do in this one spot? That's, that's kind of, um, you know, just allows me to like, you know, feel good about the day or something like that. And so I think, I think climbing is a lot like reacting to landscape. I think kayaking, a lot of like non-field sports are, you know, are really good about reacting to environments. And if you think about climbers, you know, climbers can't, you can't force your way up a climb, right? You can't, you can't be like, Hey, I'm going to do it my way, you know, and screw this climb because I own this thing. Like you just can't, you can't have that attitude. You have to say, 
what is the like what does this client want me to do like how do i need to react to it you know what is what does it want what are the behaviors it wants out of me and um there's a lot of humility there and um so yeah i think i got that from skateboarding definitely gymnastics and i think that's an important part of climbing um that humility aspect because yeah it's just you have to adapt you have to like let go of forcing your way and learn to kind of read the field uh, really carefully, you know, in the middle of something when you're, you know, coming back to panic, when you're panicking, like usually, you know, there's, there's always a way out when you feel locked up in climbing, you know, there, there's always like, um, one kind of like thing you can do to make it better. Um, and I want to credit, um, a California climber, this guy, Hans Florine, when I was young, I took a, um, like a clinic with him. I thought I was like 14. And one of the things he said was like, you know, if you find yourself stuck, you know, do, do 360, look all around. And he's like, and if you can do that, most likely you better climb yourself out of any situation. And I always remember that he was right. You know, he was totally right. He's like a, he's a super badass dude. And um, I remembered that, you know, from 20 years, 30 years ago, and he was just spot on the money there. So, you know. It's a great belief to have as well as it's a tool. It's a, it's a system of thinking, but it's also a great belief to have that there's always going to be a solution when you get that instilled in your mind as a young climber, like that's a powerful spell to, to cast, uh, that you're always going to find a solution. Like going up the wall with that in your back pocket is, is healthy. Um, are there other kind of secrets or spells, like things that keep you healthy on the wall or like that you go to if like that example of, I can't find a hold. Are there, are there others like maybe with the fatigue, like uh, uh, as a non-climber and someone who's played around with, you know, climbing parks, the idea of being very fatigued on the wall uh, in the natural climb is sort of saying that is confronting to me thinking about you know, bit what you've, what you've been through or, you know, what climbers go through. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any other, anything else that really sticks as like, this makes a big difference? Yeah. You know, it's a good, that's a good one. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think climbing is a, is, is a little unique, right. Of a sport in the sense that like, I think no one kind of grows up and at age like four knows how to like um, throw a javelin or something like that, you know, I, but you see young kids and they, they do naturally climb right there. It's just kind of like, there's a anthropological, you know, uh, sense in our body, but we, we lose that at some point. Like we, we forget that it, it's there though. It land low in the brainstem. Um, but you forget it. And what you see a lot with, um, climbers, either just starting new or they're just kind of learning is there's a, just a lot of stiffness in their body. Um, and there's a lot of hesitation and there's a lot of, um, trying to do like too much too quick. And that's, you know, you can talk about injury that way as well, but, you know, what you're trying to do with climbing is develop like a deep repertoire of feeling comfortable in uncomfortable position. It's a lot like yoga, right? So when you do a climb, like when you see someone who's really good do a move, they're not going to shake. They're just going to look like really fluid and their, you know, their legs aren't going to sputter and their arms are good. And then you've put like a beginner on it and, um, you know, you know, man, it just looks, it looks rough. Like they just look like they don't know what they're doing. And so what's the difference there, right? There's a lot of like muscular memory going on there. There's a lot of strength capacities, but there's also just like a deep repertoire of movement that you need to like a catalog that you need to develop. Um, and I feel like that's like the base level component, right? I mean, that that's kind of like what allows you to constantly change up and adapt. And I think 
you know, letting that, letting yourself soak all that stuff in. And I would say this even goes for pros and um, who just need volume days, you know, like big days out. I mean, you know, I mean, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're just kind of soaking up, soaking up stuff. But um, yeah, especially beginners, when you're learning, just building that base of movement is really key and just paying attention and trying to just stay focused on what your body wants to do in those, in those moments. Because a lot of beginners and intermediates, they hijack their body um, with the way they think it needs to move. But most of the time you're, you just kind of naturally fall into position and um, with, you know, in a, in the more relaxed state, you'll, you'll climb a lot better, but that's a lot harder. You know, it's a lot easier said than done, you know? Um, And I think it goes for a lot of athletics. Like um, you can give somebody like, you know, um, a new device or a new ball and say, do this one thing. And, and, you know, they're going to try to do it, but it's going to look a certain way. It's not going to look fluid, you know, and you give it to a pro or a master and they're going to be able to get so much more out of it. There's so much more continuity. I think just to get to you, there's no short circuits to get to that point. You got to put in your time. Um, And so that's kind of like, you know, being receptive and being humble and just like feeling that stuff, feeling, you know, staying, staying present with the climbing, you'll climb twice as, twice as good, twice as quick, I would say. Yeah. I love that idea of the catalog and expanding your, your catalog, your repertoire of like what positions are comfortable. Cause you, you obviously, you can see that clearly with climbing There's like where it goes to more overhangs and different hand positions that concept generally though is one that I've wrestled with quite a lot because it's pretty clear in the strength world that multi-sport athletes tend to do better as pros. So the mm. kids that go to high schools where they practice a lot of sports tend to do better in college and the kids in college who do multiple sports tend to do better as pros as well. It goes with injury rates and obviously there's exceptions to that, like the Tiger Woods story and such. But maybe he's the most, you know, maybe he was well-rounded physically. They didn't give too much away of what he actually trained with his dad as, as a young boy. But, he, he, you know, he's physically better than most golfers. Part of the reason why he probably had the impact that he had. But yeah. the research is pretty clear on that. And it's something that in the rugby world, what you see is players go from being 14, 15, 16, playing everything, dominating in lots of different sports because they tend to be strong, powerful kids because that's what you need for rugby. But that that also serves in lots of different ways until you add a bunch of mass and then you might not be as fast in athletics and you might not be as streamlined in the pool and you might not jump as high on the basketball court and all that stuff when you get heavier. But what I saw is a lot of athletes deteriorate dramatically in terms of their catalog through their career and they get like a smaller and smaller range of things that they can do where they're still able to play their sport, but they can't get their shoes on anymore. They can't like touch their back. You know, they can't, they like, I'm exaggerating, but they're no longer good at football. They're no longer like good at, at soccer, at basketball. Uh, they can't swing the golf club like they used to be able to or tennis racket. And it's like the catalog is diminishing. And oftentimes there's more injuries. I, I believe there's more injuries as a result. I, I believe often the spark in their game, the creativity goes. Yeah. Um, that catalog concept is, is one that, yeah, is like how do we maintain that catalog? How do we develop that catalog? In climbing, are there people that you've worked with or you've seen who's like they pick it up faster because of a previous catalog? Like would you say when you, when you touch on gymnastics, like I would imagine for you that that would have given you a dramatic advantage um, and, and probably skateboarding as well to an extent with, as you say, like spotting the terrain and, and balance and such, but, you know, more so gymnastics with the rings training and you, 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 you come to it with a catalog like – 
yeah, have, have you like have you seen that? Do you see that concept as playing out in rock climbing? Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. And I, I love your point about, um, uh, you know, like kind of people that stay too narrow, you know, you end up having these like burnouts or cycles of injury. You know, I, I came across this interview with Wayne, with Wayne Gretzky, who's like, you know, one of the mo- most well-spoken you know, athletes on kind of like deep inner creativity. And, and apparently, you know, they interviewed his parents and, you know, he basically like played hockey a couple months a year and then just like threw down the stick and like did other shit like for a long time. And he really like, didn't um, like, you know, focus in on, into one sport or like really take it seriously as, as like a young athlete until like super late, you know? And, um, and then, you know, the, the, the people who were like interviewing and brought it back to like a bigger conversation. And, you know, they found that for a lot of top guys and, and women, you know, athletes was like, they found the same pattern was that they didn't have this like super myopic, training like you know where their parents are just grinding them out at age six and seven and and upwards into like one sport they were just they were free to explore they like you know play baseball play rugby you know football whatever um and it was only later that they probably had that catalog of movement you know to bring it back and then they were able to kind of like funnel it all into that one sport which enabled them to really move and develop new techniques you know inside their chosen sport um because I think that's what, you know, great athletes really innovate in movement and technique. I mean, that's really what they're doing, you know, like LeBron James or Jordan or rugby players, they have ways of just moving that just challenges people and puts them on their toes. And it's hard to react to that. And they're bringing something outside, you know, to that sport. Um, And, you know, it takes a while for people to catch up. Eventually people catch up, but that's kind of just like how I feel like great athletes work. They, they just really bring, bring something in new. I love that. Um, that yeah. innovation in movement concept is not something that I don't know if I've heard anyone say that. But like, as soon as you say, like, I'm thinking back because I've worked with world champion players in, in the rugby world and they do, they have different movement signatures that you mm-hmm. don't see other people, you know, other people can't do it. Like, they, they literally move differently. One of the athletes that I work with, his name's Sonny Bill Williams, he's the most well named well-known rugby player in the world. He's actually just about to have a big fight against the UFC. Um, mm. One of the guys who's done best in UFC. So it's probably his most serious, you know, highest level fight so far. All fighting's pretty serious if you're boxing. Yeah. But he, like he has that movement ability in rugby that was very unique. And you see then when he takes it to boxing and just when he plays around, like he's, Athletes like that, he's always like doing little little dance moves or just messing around with the guys. There's something about the movement that's that's quite unique. Do you see that in rock climbing as well? Where, like, I suppose there's just those unique positions. Like, is that what's happening? People innovate positions, and and then others gradually try to move into those positions to to catch up, or execute the same challenge. Oh, oh yeah, man. Um... You know, in a lot of ways, I love that you mentioned boxing, too, because I think boxing is such a great example um, of of the way the way bodies move. And, and like, you know, what what like some of the megastars, if you look at like Tyson's like, you know, his left hook or his undercut, like no one was throwing that punch with the way he was right. Like no one could pull that off. Um, but when he started doing it, like he would put fear in his opponents because they just didn't know how to, to handle it. They, they couldn't react to it. Right. They just didn't have like the catalog to, to figure out, like, how do I defend against this guy? Um, and I'm pretty sure if you put like, you know, 
think about like Messi, right. And uh, football, but we call soccer, unfortunately, but um, you know, like his, his movement patterns, the way, the way he's cutting across, you know, outside the goal, like he is moving differently. That is really throwing like traditional defenses off. And it's really hard to capture this guy. Cause he's just, you know, he's just, he's also unpredictable inside of his kind of, you know, his, his, his niche there. But um, so, yeah, I, I love that analogy. Boxing. I, I've, I've written a lot about boxing. I love, I love thinking about boxing too. Cause I think that the boxers actually have to react and have, have to have the same kind of humility as climbers do because you got this plan, you know, and all of a sudden your plan is gone because you just got hit and whatever you thought you were going to do is is gone you got to think about what you got to do next it's not about what just out you know what's going to happen it's like what what do i need to do now um to survive right and climbing climbing is is very much like that but um yeah in terms of like a movement signature i, I love to you know or a thumbprint I, I love that analogy you just you just kind of created there and um if you look at a lot of the top climbers the people that have always innovated like like a wolfgang gulick or a, a chris sharma um, or like, um, like top guys, right? Who've kind of like pushed the sport and really, you know, people had to catch up. Um, they always move differently, you know, and they were able to do certain climbs and could really innovate in certain genres of movement just because they moved differently. Um, and Adam, you know, Adam Andre is currently like the top guy. And um, he has this crazy mix of just like ferocious power speed climbing up really difficult things but he also can just like really calm it down, like really quick and just, and, and fully, you know, not get his heart rate up to like 120, even though he's kind of like hustling up some stuff that no one could do. Like he climbs so quick that it's just bizarre. Like it's weird to watch. It looks like you're watching in fast forward sometimes. And, and you, most climbers, even top guys who can't even climb like that, they cannot climb that fast. And so what's going on there, you know, is, is that kind of quickness, enabling him to do some of the things that he's doing. Like, of course it is. Right. And so, you know, the way he's moving is starting to already affect another generation of climbers. Um, they're already starting to look at that and be like, huh, that's interesting. Like, how do we kind of, how do we take that to the next level or how do we, you know, like incorporate that into a you know, training regime or something mm -hmm. like that. And, um, you know, Chris Sharma did the same thing. I feel like with, really dynamic sport climbing, you know, which is like bolted and indoor bouldering. He just brought a sense of um, like dynamic power climbing that was probably just not really there. It was kind of there and fits and spurts, you know, in the sport, but he just kind of brought it to a whole new level. And um, he was just able to pull off some stuff that, you know, people only the young, younger generation now are just now catching on to it, maybe 15 years later. Um, so it's really, really fascinating stuff. <clears throat> That's really cool. Yeah, this that concept is blowing my mind. Of, I don't think it's encouraged in many sports to actually like come up with different movements that other people haven't seen before. It makes sense for boxing and it makes sense for rock climbing. But I, I, I mean, I've been around professional rugby my my whole life. My father's a rugby league coach, so like from the earliest days, I was going to training, and th that concept has never come across my mind of like actually inventing different positions that are going to kind of confuse your, your your opponent or give you new opportunities. But, it, but I can see it there now in you know, players that I've worked with who've been very difficult for others to handle. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, cool that it's the crossover between – that's why these conversations are great. Where I, I'm not deep in the rock climbing world, but 
it's um yeah it's all movement and it's all uh, yeah. we're all humans you know we're all solving problems physically so love it yeah yeah and i'll say i'll you know say one more thing on that um because i love i love martial arts too um you know bruce lee's great i, I write about bruce lee a lot in uh, in the boulder you know and where i find he was like a deep dude and obviously a, a top athlete and you know just kind of like all right let's you know, I've always heard, you know, I've kind of like, you know, probably like typical, I've read like quotes and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool quote, you know, like be like water, all that kind of shit. Right. You know, all those quotes of flow like water, you know, and I was like, I read it up, you know, for years, but I finally kind of like bought all his books and, and really dug deep, you know, and um, what I thought, what, or what I saw in a lot of his like deeper philosophy was the fear of getting predictable, you know, and you know, he would say that his style was like a no style. And, you know, there's like a lot of weird contradictory, you know, terms in there, but basically like he had a big problem with formal training because what it did, it made you predictable to the opponent. And, you know, so he like, kind of, you know, wanted to develop a way that was always ready to just react in, in the right way at the right time. So, you know, I, I'm not going to always learn to punch, you know, with my in a certain way, because, you know, if my opponent knows I'm trained in that way, then he's going to know exactly how to defend. So if I'm never in those kind of habit ruts and if, and so on, then I can break out of it and become less predictable. And I found that to be like really, really interesting. And he talks a lot about becoming, you know, uncomfortable is getting comfortable in the uncomfortable, because in order to break out of habit patterns, you have to deal with kind of the awkwardness of your body or the uncomfortable nature of what it, of what it really feels like to break those, you know, to break those bounds. And so, um, he's just really good. You know, he's great. He's got so much good, deep thinking about, about that stuff. Um, and quick thinking, you know, for him, it was so, so much about fluidity and being yep. able to act really quick with the necessary reaction, whatever that was. So if it's like a field sport to come to rugby, you know, if, you know, you're going for a run and you got five guys looking at you, you know, there's predictable patterns and then there's, there's the unpredictable pattern and probably inside the unpredictable pattern or the unpredictable route, that's probably the best way to go. But it's hard to see that in a split second. Um, it's really tough because it takes like a lot of intuition. It takes a lot of like real time calculation of, of speeds of opponents. Cause you're like, all right, this guy needs to get here. I know that guy can get me there. This guy can get me there. But if I can like make that calculation really quick and have that bandwidth in my mind, to run that program at a low level while my body is still fucking running as fast as it possibly can, then maybe that's my opening, you know, and uh, maybe that's what the top guys are. They're just already doing that. They just, yeah. but they're just kind of naturals, you know? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. They're all they're for sure. Athletes are trying to be unpredictable and they've got the option of this or that, but I, yeah, I, I don't know if that innovation is encouraged and, and that concept in itself, I think can, can potentially open new doors of, of thinking for sure. The best guys are doing it. They are unpredictable and there's, they've got yeah. so much up their sleeve because they can execute all sorts of, you know, different plays in any one moment. Like that's what makes the best players so difficult, but to, to, you know, to defend, but um, has the martial arts side for yourself? Have you gone down that path? Like philosophically it's interesting for you, but, do you, do you do anything along those lines yourself? Uh, I don't know. You know, um, my closest I can get to it is, um, is kind of just like a deep interest in, in Zen and like kind of martial arts tra training, you know, and um, 
and, and kind of like the, the, the way of life of, of like the kind of the Zen path has been always really important to me. And I know that that's like a big rabbit hole, but that's, that's close to me. That informs a lot of my thinking about humility and letting go and kind of calming, you know, being able to kind of work at intuitive level with kind of like processes running, running lower, but no, yeah, I don't have, um, I've never, you know, I did martial arts when I was young, but for such a small amount, it's not even worth, worth mentioning, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. Where are you at, at the moment with your own practice? What are you What are you working on? What's uh, How's your body? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the body's good. You know, it's it's holding up. You know, I feel like um, you. You know, the longer you're in the game, the more it just becomes about management. You know, <laughs> like injury management. You know, as opposed to prevention. And so that's that's been like a really interesting point you know, just, just, just seeing like how the body changes. Right. And you just never, you need to learn how to adapt and, um, and things like that. And that's kind of been, it's been really fun. You get smarter as an athlete. I feel like the older you get, which isn't to say I'm a smart athlete, but I feel like you, you do, you do get smarter, you know, you, you do learn and you learn to compensate for a lot of like the, the raw strength maybe we had in our late teens or, or early twenties, you know, you definitely learn how to apply strength better and how to get more out of your muscles, which I think is really interesting. You know, there's, there's actually a lot of interesting studies that talk about, um, uh, muscle muscle can basically fire on less cylinders, the more with, um, more cognitive processes that it's trying to run. So for instance, a distracted mind is actually less powerful, uh, in the body than a, a body is with a less, with, a with no distraction. Um, maybe that came out weird, but long story short is they found that like, People who are trying to run, for instance, around a track and like do math problems um, can't run as fast as someone who's just trying to run around the track. Like you cannot let your body get consumed by all this stuff. And so I think, you know, those are those are fun, like tricks that, you know, take a while to learn. But um, no, I'm just climbing, man. I got so many climbing projects, you know, out there in the world. You know, I'm working on a big, um, uh, big crack project out in Moonlight Buttress and Zion that be going to within a couple of weeks. So I just been hitting the desert hard, doing a lot of crack climbing and, um, you know, just shredding the body for sure. Just beating it up and trying to recover, eat well, you know, typical stuff, stretch and stay limber. So, so yeah, that's kind of been the, the major stick, but we got, um, ice climbing season coming up, which is really fun. So I'm kind of about to transition into that and, and ski season, you know, which is always yep. good. So it sounds like you got it, you got it covered year round. You go, you got desert, you got ice, you got mountains. Like there's no, uh, and they have, is the physical demands a lot different? Do you train differently for the different seasons? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one, man. Actually. Um, definitely for sure. Um, for instance, a lot of the summer I do a lot of like, uh, like mountain running and a lot of like backcountry trail running. Right. So like big, big mountain days and, uh, my kind of my, my delts, you know, my real shoulders go to shit, you know, my biceps get tired cause they're like swinging around for 10 to 12 hours. My quads get huge. My calves get huge, which is terrible for rock climbing. You know, it's like what you don't want. So then I got to like, try to create the new body. You know, I got to be like, all right, I need to, I need to get rid of these legs. I need to get, you know, get some power back. And, and you know, sometimes that transition can take weeks. Um, but yeah, I've learned how to like toggle between those seasons a little better. Um, 
but also I'm total ADD, you know, man, which is a problem. And so I'm like, I'm trying to do too much in like the different seasons. I'm, and you know, sometimes it's just a disaster and you get, you just get destroyed. Your body gets too tired and you know, you overdo one thing and then you stop that and you try to overdo the next. And it's just like the typical, you know, athlete balance. Um, but yeah, yeah. Colorado's we're definitely forced to kind of move into seasonality and, um, and it keeps it fun, man. It keeps like burnout pretty low, which is I think important, you know, yeah. like, I, I tend to, I really walk away from one, one thing when I, when I sense my body getting burnt or like that the stoke isn't there, I just walk away. And I've learned that like, if you don't walk away, you are going to get injured and you're not going to like it. You're going to train with less intensity. It's just not worth it. You know, like if you love that thing, take a fucking break, go, go like do whatever you need to do, man, for a couple of weeks, it'll, you got to replenish the inner stoke. Cause if that's not there, You'll never get, you never see the gains, you know? That's, that's a good training philosophy for me. A good life philosophy as well. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be, you gotta be excited about it. You know, so many people aren't living a life that they're really passionate about. It's, you know, you hit the nail on the head with that. And it's cool. Even in, even though you love climbing, it's like, keep it fresh. If, if you're not excited about a certain move, a certain place, like, move on, get excited, go again. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I think people often in strength training maybe feel guilty about, you know, oh, I should stick with this program even though I'm bored with it. I don't even want to work towards that goal anymore. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Like, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. It's your body. I, I think the, the, you know, the, that boredom is like your body. It's like your body trying to hijack you and like tell you like, dude, you need to take a break, you know? Um, and this is good because I, you know, in my twenties, I just climbed year round. I mean, just as all I did was just climb hard stuff year round and the injury cycles looking back on it now were just horrendous. And, you know, now I feel like the literature is so much more precise about, you know, taking breaks and, you know, plateauing and like, we didn't have that stuff. You know, there was not much like widely available literature to be like, okay, you know, after eight, eight weeks of this or whatever that you should take two weeks off. Like that stuff wasn't there. So we just would climb year round as hard as we could every day, as hard as you could 365 days a year. I mean, that's, that's a disaster. Um, you know, like Killian Jornet, famous, uh, you know, Spanish mountain runner. He takes like six months off the year. He doesn't put on his running shoes. He puts on his running shoes and he's dominant. You know, he like, he goes undefeated. He doesn't even run half the year. And, and he's pretty actually outspoken about that. He's like, yeah, I think so many runners out there are just, they're just running year round and they're just grinding and, you know, they're developing what they call CFS chronic fatigue syndrome, which is like a real big problem. It's been written about in ultra running communities because there's this obsession that athletes get, like we all get obsessed, right? We just, we, we want to perform and we think that that day off or that two weeks off, we're just going to go in the hole and we're going to miss those gains. I, I, it's, in, it's still in, ingrained in my mind. I still think like that. And sometimes I'll still push it. And I'm like, damn it. Why did I do that? You know? Um, but in the end, like you're way stronger for just like listening, man, and take, letting your body really recover, getting that stoke. You'll train harder. You'll come to training sessions, more motivated and um, you'll deal with those injury cycles. They'll just start to disappear. I feel like. Um, so. There's <clears throat> always something to be excited about as well. Like, shifting the excitement is a better way to look at it than stopping. Um, um, he must have some other interests outside of running the, the example that you gave there. Like, yeah, I'm sure those six months aren't 
spent bored, he, he's probably a, a writer or a sculptor or a something that he that he likes doing as well. That that's it's a good uh, good way to look at it. And I, yeah, I think with movement, it's great to move between different projects. Um, you know, I've I've had times where I'm working on handstands, times where I'm working on snatches, and we're weightlifting and. Um, I'm glad to have all that stuff. Sometimes people are like, why don't you just work on one thing and get really good at it? Like, well, that's just not me. Like I, I, yeah. I like to, you know, it's a challenge to go sn- you know, snatch hundred kilos, but then be able to do a 90 second handstand and then be able to do splits or, you know, I, I juggle and stuff like that as well. Like it's uh, literally, um, I love people, yeah, people think it's wacky. Uh, yeah. And, um, it's, for me, it's better. And I think if gyms look more like that, you know, people doing a bunch of different stuff and, and a more skill focus, people would have more fun there and it wouldn't feel like such a chore. And I mean, a lot of gyms kind of feel like a graveyard vibe. It, it shouldn't be mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, you know, rock climbing is a fun, fun place. Circus is also a fun place in movement. Um, my, my dream is that it all comes together a bit more, you know, where the boundaries I, I like seeing the boundaries come down and the conversations happen between you know, different people different backgrounds and see what they can learn the injury side of things i'd love to touch on a little bit deeper um, the that's been a big part of my work the last couple of years i'm a obsessive type person you know like to go pretty hard at the things that i'm working on and i had tendonitis for 20 years different yeah. joints at different times um and then I found this man, uh, knees over toes guy, the ATG system. And uh, he had this system for his knees because he'd had multiple knee surgeries and he wanted to be a college, you know, uh, he wanted to go to the NBA. He was, his role model was John Stockton. He was getting up at like five o'clock hmm. in the morning when he was like eight years old to go Jeez. dribble his basketball. Oh. Like completely, he's the most obsessive person that, uh, that I've you know, come across. But he, uh, he had multiple knee surgeries. He was having knee pain from 10 or something. And he had a lot of surgeries. And then he, he eventually did get recruited for Div 1 College as a 6'1", 6'2", white guy. Um, so he's very, very good at basketball. But he had all these knee issues. And then he found the same strength mentor that I found. And he solved his knee stuff. And he, he went from being able to barely touch the rim to being able to throw down windmill dunks and just playing like a absolute freak. He, he plays one-on-one against NBA players. And... He can, he can hold his own. He doesn't get beaten in one-on-one, he, he says, um, as a six-point white boy. So uh, yeah, right he, he, taught, he, he had this system with knees. And I was like, oh, man, like you've actually cracked something here that – and we'd had – like I've been studying strength for a long time and very, very passionate about it. I'm a rabbit hole kind of guy. And I was like, man, you've, you've cracked this code here. This is really interesting. And what I found was that it actually – tends to work for all the other joints as well. Um, so he's been on Joe Rogan since he's, he's had like hundreds of thousands of people have done his program. And, um, cause I work with coaches. I mean, enco- some of those coaches have been for rock climbing and I've encouraged them like, Hey, how do we use this for rock climbing? And so the methodology in a nutshell, and this is like really crudely, but the methodology is that you bring a lot of blood flow to the area without a lot of tension. So for the knees, it's like walking backwards up a hill or it's dragging a sled backwards. And so it's a concentric action. So the eccentric tends to do more connective tissue damage, more muscle damage. It's concentric, which means muscle shortening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then short range of motion where there's no stretch. And so you get a lot of blood flow in the area without stretching it and without doing eccentrics. And that in itself has been like a miracle for tens of thousands of people, like hundreds of thousands of people, like just walking backwards up a hill, um, walking backwards with a sled has been like, oh, my knees don't hurt now and I can start doing something more uh, more advanced. 
then you go into uh, more more bend, more stretch, and eventually it gets to like super stretch stuff. So he did he did the splits while he was on Joe Rogan as well. He's done hmm. you know dunk into splits uh, on some of his content to get people's attention of like this is possible. And so the other concept, I, to me, these are the two big concepts. One is the blood flow circulation, and the other one is that when you stretch something and you get it really strong in its most lengthened position then that causes connective tissue adaptations that um, prepare us for plyometric stuff, like so more, yeah, more explosive uh, movements. But they kind of like, he calls it like a bulletproofing reserve. They create like a bulletproofing reserve in the tissues. So I've been encouraging coaches of like, bring this to, to rock climbing. Like, how do you do short range? You've got short range when it's not stretched and then long range when it's, when it's, you know, really stretched position. Hmm. I don't know. Does anything come up for you with sort of uh, hearing this and thinking about the remedies or what's worked for you with tendonitis? Because every climber is going to have at some point finger or forearm tendonitis, I would imagine, or it's, it's common in the community anyway. Um, is anything coming up for you here thinking about these uh, concepts? Yeah. And no, it's super interesting to hear some of that stuff. Um, you know, I, like, I guess just thinking about injury for climbers, I would say like, you know, 90% of the injuries that, that we get, um, are like, you know, from the wrist up, they're kind of, they're a lot of soft tissue, um, kind of typically like in your A1 pulleys, A2 pulleys, like right, literally like in your fingertips. I mean, that, that is like by far the most, that's kind of like, um, like, you know, pitcher's arm or pitcher or tennis elbow, right. That's kind of like the climber's equivalent. So the last, the last one. Oh like, uh, no, the one that's like yeah, right yeah, okay. above. Yeah. That yeah, first one there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I didn't know that the hand was so much more. I always thought, because when I go, like, it's always like the, you know, the, in the elbow there, if I go climbing, like that's yeah. where I get, because I'm probably not good enough to actually use the fingers, but it makes sense when you get more advanced, you're going to be more aggressive with the fingers and then they cop it. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly right. Like, so <laughs> when you're starting off, you tend to be on like bigger holds where it's like full, you know, full, we would call them jugs. Like, you know, they're good holds. And then you progress to get to be like, what you call them like finger buckets. So it's still pretty good, right? It's like kind of like your hand draping over a bar on like on the monkey bars. Yeah. Um, but then the better you get, you start to hold smaller holds. And when you start to hold smaller holds, you start to uh, really leverage those pulleys and um, the, the, which are like the, the minor connective tissue in the fingers. And that it like, so every climber is like within a couple of years going to get that injury. And then top climbers are going to get it. It's just, it's just like, it's our deal. Um, but I guess just coming back to, you know, what, what I'm thinking is like, so, I mean, you know, blood flow is obviously huge for the hand because, um, you know, tendons and ligaments have way less circulatory, you know, whatever than, than muscle. So not only is it like the hardest to warm up, um, it's, it's the thing that grows in strength out of balance to muscle. Like when, you know, people go to the gym, you're a beginner, like you can do like, you know, weighted pull-ups, put 75 pounds in my back, like all good. Right. So this guy should be like super strong, but you get him on something that's like a moderate and he's just falling all over the place. Right. Because it's not really that muscle. It's really those, those connective tissues in there. And so I would just be interested to see, you know, like how, you know, how that would connect, how that short range, you know, motion would, um, and kind of blood flow would connect up in that. Cause I feel like that would be, that definitely be like a place of, um, where you could like exploit, the most common injury and i'm not quite sure how to do it i'm kind of just like thinking out loud here with you um, yeah yeah we can uh we can continue conversation a bit and I'll, I'll connect up with some of the people that have been exploring this in the rock climbing world because um yeah it's it it tends to be 
quite a universal solution. Like definitely for like elbow tendonitis or Achilles, um, it's it's very effective and it makes sense that it would work for the hands and you know as well. But there's less muscle and so it it will be really interesting. I haven't followed up enough. Like I've had these conversations with people in rock climbing and and different niches and said like, hey, like we really should test this. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. And I'm sure it's good for forearms. Like I've experienced it and I've seen it happen, you know, help a lot of people with forearms, but I, I don't know at all about hand. I've, I don't, haven't ha- heard testimonials about hands. So mm. maybe this uh, podcast will help to pull some out or at least uh, encourage more exploration. Yeah. Yeah. I know forearm tendonitis. Like, so um, if you're looking at your fore, if you're looking at your right arm, for instance, the, uh, connective tissue at the bottom on the left side on the kind of you're on the inside that's a a huge pain point for climbers in terms of like tendonitis that's that's definitely like the number one tendonitis point for climbers um yeah and you know there's all kinds of like things how to fix it whether it's like you take the the um the frying pan and you kind of like twist up 90 degrees that's a classic and kind of reverse wrist curls are classic um but it tends to be an overuse injury a lot i think um and then you're not strengthening your antagonists for sure you know yeah yeah muscle imbalance is is Mm -hmm. part of it and uh yeah essentially it's always the tension has exceeded the tolerance of the tissue so the amount of tension that is the the tissue has been exposed to is beyond what the capacity of of that tissue so how do you increase the tolerance to tension and then how do you bring new, new life into the tendon? That's the thing in the, the stretching. I wonder, yeah, we, we need to go deeper in this conversation, maybe bring in one oh, yeah. of the, the coaches that I've worked with um, and, yeah, explore it a bit further. But my, my guess and my feeling is that because rock climbing doesn't require you to work from a stretch position, um, like there's not really hmm. – like you don't tend – so then – I think there'll be there'll be significant gains, um, and it's it's like you don't need it until you do need it, right? Like people send me messages of like, "Hey, look at these parkour guys! Like they don't do any of this stuff that you're talking about." It's like, yeah, they don't need to until they need to. And it's like once once the knees hurt, then parkour isn't necessarily going to be the solution to fix the knees. Like it's it becomes um, tricky to uh, so yeah, it's it's been cool because I'm just about to be forty, and now I can squat and jump and like in higher volumes without getting issues. And even yet, like I had the issues with doing chin-ups and muscle-ups and all that stuff, like basic gymnastics. Um, mm-hmm. I used to get those issues and now I, like using this this sort of system of approaching, it's, it's, it's good. I don't mean to hijack the the uh, the conversations jumped into <laughs> my world quite a lot here, but um, yeah, I'm curious about that with, with rock climbing. We'll research it more. Um, what's, what's next in your research? Like what's, what's exciting at the moment? What do you, you sound like the person who's always got a rabbit hole that you're going down. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, man. Um, let's see. So I'm, a, I'm, um, I guess, you know, for, for, you know, the, the most immediate thing is really just my climbing goals. It's getting me stoked, right? It's just like, what are my athletic goals and, and, um, and trying to raise kids, you know, that are stoked about the mountains and are staying safe and not going out there, getting buried in avalanches and doing dumb shit. So, that's kind of like my, you know, that's the physical part. Um, that's keeping me occupied. I got a son who's a total fucking maniac. Um, um, but, um, 
uh, you know, academic or, you know, writing wise. So I'm writing a book called the Zen of climbing actually. And I mentioned Zen earlier and you know, what this is, what I'm trying to do on this book is, um, you know, I talk about climbing, but it's a really, it's an approach to like all athletics and uh, it's all sport. Um, and I think if, you know, the boulder was interesting, you know, the Zen of climbing takes like some of the philosophy, but also takes like a little bit more of like a target targeted, like practical manual pr approach. You know, it's not like bullets and checklists of like mental, mental strength. I find a lot of problems with like, you know, the kind of modern article of, um, you know, just like what mental strength is and, you know, and all that stuff. I just, I just found it to be a little, little like, you know, shallow and problematic. And so I, I'm trying to, you know, ante up and, and try to pull some weight and say, put my best foot forward as to say, like, this is what I think, you know, mental preparation looks like for athletes. And, you know, I'm like, I'm reading samurai swordsmanship, you know, philosophy. I'm, you know, I'm reading books by Michael Phelps, Andre Agassi, uh, you know, reading stuff by the Serena, the coaches of Serena Williams. Um, I'm reading Apollo. You know, I'm really just trying, I'm trying to like figure out like, what are all these common threads about, about mentality? Um, and, and that's like, that's really vague, right? And, you know, every, I'm sure every writer on sports has got like, they have their thing about it. Um, but for me, you know, it's like, it's really how to get to a place where you're able to do your, your, you know, you're, you're able to, focus on that, on that sport and that movement at the time that you need to. And I feel like to get there is so hard, right? Yeah. Cause you can't like arrive to the rugby pitch or arrive to, you know, the gymnastics thing and be like, all right, I'm going to do these five things and like perform really great today. Like it just doesn't work like that. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to like folks, that's like having a really shitty marriage and just like going to go home and like, Hey, like, I love you. Like, it's all good. Right. No, it's not like you've got all this shitty history. Like you've brought all this stuff. So what's the work like really look like for athletes to, to really tap into a place where they can perform um, cleanly, right? You know, and like, like you have to reorganize your goals. Like, what does it mean to perform well? Does it mean to win or does it mean to have like an unobstructed, you know, performance that you're just like proud of, you know, and what are, what are some of the top Olympic coaches saying and, and all this other stuff. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about now. Um, and it's been fun because I'm finding a lot of stuff that I, I can just, bring into the fold, man. Like I'm talking about climbing, but I'm talking about so many other things. I feel like half the time I'm talking about like boxing, Mike Tyson, um, surfing, you know, you just kind of whatever. And, um, I think that's the way my mind works. I, I just tend to see, tend to not, I don't want to get like pigeonholed. I want to try to like blow it up into something bigger. So that's been really fun. You know, that's been a, like a really good project and it's forced me to, you know, not just talk philosophy, but to like give some directives, like, all right, this is like, this is an exercise I think is like really important, you know, um, that, that you should do, or this is what you need to take away. And this is where you need to look closer inside of yourself, um, in order to get rid of like your hesitation or to get rid of your, your sense of entitlement, um, or, you know, things like that, which I feel like are just holding people back so much, whether it's, it's too much self-worth invested in, you know, their sport or too much attachment to the goal, too much fear of failure. I mean, dude, fear of failure is a huge one. Um, you know, like there are athletes that are driven their whole career by a, just, just a fear of failing, you know, and it's just crazy to think of how much better they could have been if they could, would have just gotten rid of that fear um, and turned it into something positive and not, not, you know, competed from a place of worry um, and anxiety. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, that's a really powerful one. And I, I, 
wanted to go to the Olympics as a hockey player in field hockey in, in Australia. I, Gretzky was actually a hero because it was the only hockey book I could find. Even though it was ice hockey, it was like, well, I'll read it anyway. And I re- so that was one of the first books I ever read. Was his, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, but I remember like I was a very safe and defensive kind of player and very like concerned about making any mistakes and very much about like passing. And, and then it wasn't until later you know, when I realized I wasn't making teams and people weren't looking at me because I was too much on that side that I was like, started to take a lot more risks. And then I started to make teams and I was like on the fringe of sort of the Australian uh, system. Mm. But it was like literally what you just spoke about was like that made all the difference for me. I didn't end up going to the Olympics. I went backpacking at 21 and kind of took a different path in life once I saw the world. But yeah, but the like it sounds like a powerful book, man. And that, that concept in itself of like encouraging people to get out of that safety mode, fear of losing playing safe uh, versus, you know, getting after it and taking, taking risks, innovating, inventing new positions. As you talk about, you know, you spoke about earlier, like new movements. And I love it. Looking forward to yeah, seeing the book come out. When, when are you thinking? What's the, is it a, it's yeah. a probably, tough question maybe <laughs> no no it's it's um let's see so i got i mean to be honest like i'm polishing up the draft i should be done within like three weeks i'm just going to my wow. final cool. final thing and then it should come out um earlier next year i think yeah something like that earlier next year is when it should um it should come out but i'm really stoked man because i just learned so much about others but you know just just listening to tennis players you know and, and there's so much stuff going on there in terms of internal dialogue of the athlete. Oh man. I I found that to be such a cool rally self-talk for the athlete. Like, you know, what are the voices that we activate, man, when we're trying to do something hard, is it, what is that voice saying? And like, why do, why we, why does that voice come? And should we listen to that voice? Should we, should we not listen to that voice? Like, you know, when we, when we say, all right, come on, man, you can do this. Like what is happening when athletes say that? Cause it's super common for athletes to get into that pep talk motion. But, you know, there's, there's very few coaches out there that I found, or even a like high level coaches that'd be like pep talk is good. Actually, it's a sign of kind of an impending disaster for an athlete. So if you find yourself having to like pep talk, what does that tell you? There's, there's like a disjoint, right? Your personality is fragmenting and you have this, these weird layers of doubt confidence that you're having to like kind of, hack in a word you're trying to like puff puff one part up so anyhow um yeah i just um i just find those things to be like super interesting and um the psychology of sport i feel like we're just entering the golden age you know we're just getting there like we understand the body we're starting to really dial in tissue connectivity and movement like i feel like we're we're get like that's really good but i feel like the the psychology of performance is really just we're just starting to get there and um it's really exciting I think it's a golden golden time for all of it. Like I was just having that conversation just before with a coach who's working with different professional soccer players, just traveling around Europe, you know, talking to them about how they're training and talking about how he was trained. Things have changed so much in the last 20 years, like with the internet and with being able to have these kinds of conversations, movement is is definitely progressing quickly. And there's there's a lot of innovative conversations and things going on. And yeah, psychology as well, sports psychology. Um, yeah, it's it's really cool to to explore, and we could definitely go deeper, you know, on that. Maybe when your new book comes out, we can have another conversation. 
Um, yeah. The mechanics of writing a book. Can you share a little bit of like your, your secret to actually getting it done? Do you have a ritual of time when you have to do it? Do you do it in chunks? What's the, uh, what's your system? Yeah. Great question. Um, so I think my philosophy of writing is, is kind of like my philosophy we talked about, like if you're not stoked on something, walk away um, and have no fear that you might walk away. Like that's okay. Like, cause, cause that's where your passion is directing you elsewhere than, than go for it. So I, I don't like uh, ritualize myself. I do give myself an hour to write every day when I'm um, feeling the most creative and I, and I try to accommodate that. I've learned that, you know, when the day catches on and, if you're answering after a couple hours of answering emails or meetings or writing or whatever, or write, writing for work projects, then sometimes that stoke isn't there. So I've learned to protect that space a little better. I've, I've learned that when you protect that space, you know, you, you just uh, become more productive and it becomes a little, um, a little bit more predictable, but um, I really, you know, I don't have to force myself down to the keypad ever. And if I do, I just, I just walk away for a couple of weeks and sure enough, you know, the wildfire, you know, is on my doorstep really quickly again. And then I, you know, I just kind of like manically pound stuff out. Um, so first so, thing in the morning, then is that what you say that you do it? Before yeah, you I think emails and everything or generally, yeah, I try to definitely keep my mind clear um, before the day has its wear on the, on the creative mind. Yeah. I definitely try to write earlier than later for sure. Yep. I find that to be I just, I've just found over years I'm more productive and I, my ideas are better. My sentences are better. Um, so, you know, I kind of, I kind of like that. I also juggle a lot of different kind of stuff. Like I'll still, I write fiction and I, I write articles, you know, a lot and op-eds. So if I'm like, I'll put a book down for two weeks and I'm like, all right, I'll write this thing for whatever, New York times, whatever. No, then I'll, I'll write that. And then I'm like, okay, good. Now I can go back to this other thing with a fresh pair of eyes. Um, so I wouldn't say I have really any remarkable process for writing. Um, I've just always loved it as much as I have climbing and, and athletics, whether, and I just, I've just loved, I've just loved it. And um, it just always come to me, you know, since I was probably 14 or 15 and, and um, you know, I can't say I can take any credit for it, to be honest, I'll take no credit for it. It's just kind of a, a compulsion that's there, you know, I don't know what to do with it, you know? <laughs> your go with your compulsions and and you know do the things that kind of naturally come to you and you almost feel as though you're you're cheating or you can't take credit because it's just what you're meant to be doing i think if more of us it's not necessarily like follow your passion but we all have things that we're drawn to where if we go deeper with it we can provide value and you know you are providing value with with your writing and it makes use of your interest in uh, climbing and uh, it's also really cool to see that you sort of passing that on and having those experiences in nature and stuff as well. Like you, the content that you're sharing is, is really cool. It's the family experiences that you, you're having yeah. around that, which we didn't get into as much today. But um, yeah, I, I love what you're doing and, and your writing has had an effect on my community. And yeah, look forward to sort of continuing the conversation and maybe doing some climbing with you at some stage. I'd love to get back to Colorado. It's such a beautiful part of the world. Um, yeah, my, my, my son was actually spontaneously climbing today, which is quite funny when we had this conversation. So yeah. I want to climb up there. And he just climbed up one of the walls just uh, around the corner here. So, um, yeah, appreciate your time so much. Thank you for the outstanding book that you've written and looking forward to the next one. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I really enjoyed talking with you, dude. It was so good. I feel like we we're just eye to eye on so many things. And yeah, I agree. There's so many more things we could we could go on. So yeah, I just really appreciate the yeah the ability to, to talk with you and and um, let's definitely rope up anytime, man. For sure, let's make it happen.